Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Let's do that same section about how long you waited, but without waiting so long. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We're here to discuss the third episode of season two of the Max series, and just like that, titled Chapter Three. Chapter Three. I came home from the Manhattan School of Music with Beethoven's concerto still ringing in my ears. Later, Lindsay Weber and Bobby Finger from the podcast Who Weekly will be stopping by to discuss celebrity and the Sex and the City universe. But first, a quick recap for Chapter 3. Carrie's podcast is canceled, but she's back in the vocal booth to make her audiobook. As I called John's name, I worried. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just missed a word. You okay there? Yeah. Carrie struggles to read about Big's death, so she fakes COVID to try to get out of it. I just tested positive for COVID, so um, you're going to have to get an actress to record it. I'm so sorry. Carrie finds comfort from an old friend with a new face, Bitsy Von Muffling. Honey, the second year is worse than the first. That's the dirty little secret nobody tells you. Charlotte and Lisa are the hot topic at school when they end up on a MILF list. I do think it's wrong that in this day and age, women are still being judged solely for the... (gasps) Here it is. (gasps) We're number two in three. (laughs) Seema is shaken after her Birkin gets stolen in broad daylight. What's happening to the city? And Brady is heartbroken in Amsterdam, and Miranda and Che fall out after Miranda's phone interrupts Che's pilot taping. You ruined the family scene! Well, I had my own family scene, and it was real. Oh. So. Um, the first most important question I want to ask you both is, 
Is Che's show supposed to be good? Oh, boy. It, I actually... <laughs> oh, my little cannoli. <laughs> my little cannoli took the place of Andre Rashad for the most used phrase this week. <laughs> my little cannoli. I decided after this episode, it is absolutely supposed to be bad. There's well, no way it's supposed to be here's good. My, here's my question. In the show's universe, was the show good at some point and then it was ruined by network notes? That feels like the narrative that they're kind of telling, although the that they creators keep pushing Shay toward doing something that they don't want to do, right, mm-hmm. right. But and it's corny, yes. and because it's for a mass audience, which I unlike Shay's stand up, Shay's incisive stand up <laughs> at, at their comedy concerts, <laughs> at their comedy <laughs> concerts, <laughs> of course. Um, I kind of think that this might be the show getting a little meta about Shay Diaz as a character and the reaction to them. I don't know if you guys read the Brock Collier piece in New York Absolutely. Magazine that came out. This I think a sort of subtle damnation of the character, mm-hmm. and I feel Not like so the subtle. show is kind of addressing it by having Che be like, "I don't want to be this corny, but like the show is making me be corny because that's how it's understandable to the most amount of people." I think. It's Although going one would further. imagine that the show is going to listen to Sarah Ramirez more than. Che Pasa is going to listen right. to the concerns of Che. Right. Can we talk about Che Pasa? Che Pasa is the name it's of rough. it. It's really rough. I think the show is actually going, maybe this is too big of a swing, but I think they're making Che out to be a full-on villain. I think Ooh. what they did to Miranda was so terrible at the end of the episode in terms of getting mad. Miranda made some mistakes, leaving her phone on. That was a really, you know, Miranda humiliation tally up to one. That's on her. But Che's response was really narcissistic and really kind of crazy to insinuate that their pilot is the same as Miranda's kid was so out of pocket, especially when the pilot is so clearly terrible and bad. I think it's a bad yeah. pilot and Che might not be a great person. Also, we totally just brushed over the Lyle of it all. The husband didn't even come up once this episode. Which is insane. Insane. Actually. <laughs> Truly insane Like a major revelation from last episode. And, just and Miranda's like... just continuing on in this relationship as though it's not an enormous betrayal not to tell her <laughs> right, that they yeah. were married yeah. and are still married. Che is <laughs> yeah. a villain. The pilot is bad. That is the flag that I'm planting in the sand. I will push back on <laughs> one thing and I mostly agree with you, Chris, but I do think that Miranda saying to Che, you don't know how it feels because you don't have a kid. And Che saying, well, that makes two of us being like, you don't understand what it is to have this show. This is a huge deal. That is, I think, aligning a little bit with the famous Tatum O'Neill episode from the original series about the Mm. shoes and like, oh, you don't have kids. Like, that's all that matters. Your shoes are frivolous. And Carrie being like, no, what I care about matters. Also matters, too. I kind of think that that's the echo they were going for a little bit. But the Manolos were more worthy than Che Pasa. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. My little cannoli. As much as Tony Danza seems in the pocket, though. Uh, (laughs) It it gives you, like, that sort of hearing him say super sitcom lines does give me, like, a beautiful smooth brain feeling of, like, watching an old episode of Full House or something. Like, there is something about a sitcom. art to that delivery. And the way that he said non-binary. You want to be non-binary? Be non-binary. You want to have a Bob's big boy haircut? It's your hair, not mine. Non-binary. Non-binary. It really did tickle it's me. A little, it's a little uh, Gil Faison. Yes, 100%. I do appreciate that. But, yeah, I mean, Che is going with the notes of not sort of fighting a 
back against the powers that be. It is now, you know, Italian and Irish instead of Mexican and Irish, it seems. So I don't know. I don't trust Jay. Maybe that's something that I have to come to terms with, but I don't I don't I don't trust Jay. It's right funny now. though, I think the showrunner is also supposed to be a villain, I which is more inter- so. Yeah, which is interesting because it's I feel like it's the show's way of being like, you thought Jay was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you get a load right, of this? Right. Where do you get a load of this person? <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that they're trying to have because they don't want a token character, so they're trying to present a range of, well, two characters. <laughs> two terrible non-binary yeah, characters. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting theory that Che might be kind of emerging as some sort of villainous role. Because, like, the world of Sex and City, the Sex and City universe, has done that before where there's a turn. Mm-hmm. Burger's so mm-hmm. charming, and then he very much isn't. You know, there's a whole litany of shorter-run characters who initially present well. And I think that maybe with Miranda returning home into the the fold of breaking this, the tattoo spell of L.A. Mm. a little bit might be kind of indicating toward that. Like, Che represents a door for Miranda, yeah. but is actually not meant to be the long, I don't know, the long Well, or she, she goes through that door. She finds that she doesn't like what's on the other side of it. And she goes back home and she realizes, oh, wait, now what do I do? Right. <laughs> well, that's right. so interesting. It's sort of like, a, like the end of The Graduate. She's kind <laughs> of like, the music is playing and she's suddenly realizing she has no idea where to go next. Wow, yeah. imagining Che and Miranda like on that bus. Hello, darkness. Wow, that's amazing. I will say, and maybe I'm too sentimental about Sex in the City, but I was sort of upset with how rude Miranda and the tattoo artists were being about old Miranda. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, being a corporate lawyer might not be as cheek and as fun and as woke as Miranda is now. But like, Chris, I feel like you and I have personal stakes. <laughs> yeah, personal stakes being sort of partnered with lawyers, even uh, public defender on my end, but still. But I will say that, like, old Miranda, and I guess we didn't see her that much doing, like, law things. I don't know how much of a cog in the machine she was, but she took so much pride in being partner and working really hard. Was I just her storylines in one of the movies that she went to, like, a really cool, progressive, female-led firm that allowed her to have a life? I think Did that, I make that up? No, I think that, that, that rings a bell. It does I think that's what happened to her at the end of the second movie. Yeah. Which well, I, well agreed it's not canon, though. It's not canon. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Irish nanny's not canon. The Lords yeah. of my labia, <laughs> not, not canon. canon. No, uh, the nation of Abu Dhabi, not Canada. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that also we should we are reminded in this episode that the fancy lawyer job afforded her a fucking townhouse yeah. in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. Heights. To, to be fair, she bought it in Brooklyn Heights in like 2002. Times have changed. Right, and now sure. that's worth 10 times what she paid oh, for it, sure. But, and it's probably but, yeah. paying for her sojourn to L.A. too. I don't think Che is putting her up, you know? No, Miranda's so, got to be paying her own way. Yeah, Miranda's got to be paying N- Network her. money is better than streaming money. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I do think it's a kind of funny way to talk about like a certain class of white women in the last however many years sort of being resistance pilled like and that's sort of Miranda's narrative where it's like wait a second my eyes have been now that I'm financially secure <laughs> like my eyes have been open to inequity and stuff that I haven't really been paying attention to including myself yes. and so I think sort of yeah. turning, turning to the only like people of color that they know and being like wait right. did you know about right. this and yeah. they're like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. <laughs> where exactly. you been Miranda exactly so we mentioned Miranda's return because of Brady who broke up with his girlfriend in, I thought, a pretty well-faked Amsterdam in one brief street scene. No canals, but that's okay. Brady was such a vexing character last season because he was just so gross. Like, just, (laughs) like, having sex, like, loudly one wall away from his parents and all that. I like the way that they kind of showed subtly at the end, or not so subtly at the end, that his real... uh, 
feelings about this breakup, this sudden breakup with his girlfriend while they're backpacking through Europe was kind of because he's like, everyone's breaking up. My parents are breaking Mm -hmm. up. Do we welcome Brady back into this fold? If he can be a character and not just like a gross device, I think, (laughs) sure. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of curious about what that kid is like. He doesn't seem to be a hard-charging Miranda. Is he a... Steve, is he also? Oh, he seems way more Steve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. soft-hearted. Too laid back, too soft, yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why he called Miranda, because he probably was like, I need the practical. What time's my flight home? Like, where are you going to meet me? Like, Instead of Steve being like, ah, oh, kid, that's ah. too bad. Ah, yeah. Ah, oh, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go shoot some hoops? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one, I'm happy that Brady got Miranda back to New York where she belongs, so that already gives him some points in my book. I felt for him, you know, first heartbreak, but I do think it does open up Brady speaking of Charlotte again and if the trailer if I'm remembering the trailer it seemed like there might even be some like Brady Lily like flirtation mm. thing that there would which would be thrilling to have the two moms of the group I mean then it does become you know like the Force Awakens or because whatever we, <laughs> that would be so exciting I think that like maybe this makes me a creep but it's like that kind of entanglement is sort of fun oh. like so not that like we know that Brady is sexually active, oh, and yeah. I think Lily is legit old enough at this point, right? She's probably yeah, she's 16, like 17. 16, 17, 16, yeah. yeah. That would be really fun. Yeah, and it would be fun because that would create obvious tension between Charlotte and Miranda in a way that we've like not really seen yet. And to have Carrie sort of be in the middle, ooh, that could be really fun, I think. Some sort of blow up, some sort of, I don't know. Yeah, like Lily's the little princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I can see that happening. So Miranda is contending with her decisions from season one. Carrie is contending with what happened to her in season one. She's recording the book. I thought this was a really well-articulated plot line to sort of like slightly indirect way to talk about healing and grief and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny because last week we talked about how we'd left grief in season one and we were moving into a more fun space. Yeah, a little bit of an oopsie. And I I was a little bit like, oh, you know, we're going back to this. It's a little dreary. But I will say I thought Sarah Jessica Parker, she nailed it for me. And I think they gave her the space in the recording studio to really sort of like go there. And I like the sort of like, not absurdist, but the sort of breaking with time of like the shower water playing in the background. And the the, words going like a captcha. Yes, like a captcha, which are hard to (laughs) figure out. But I ended up being more pro than negative. And I also liked, and this might sound really rude of me, that they ended up like comparing big to like a Birkin and then like lost jewelry. Like that was the <laughs> big metaphor at the end. Seema was like, yeah, it's like me losing my Birkin. And uh, then... My favorite beat of that storyline is Carrie faking COVID, which felt like classic sitcom. Like, yeah. oops, I got myself into a pickle and now all of my friends are acting like, like I, I wish that almost they had teased that out more and longer and made her like go deeper into her deception because I feel like that's always a fun place to find a character in a sitcom. Um, because it did become like, oh, I don't, I don't want to go to these plans tonight. Mm-hmm. I'll just text them and say I was exposed to someone yesterday. And f- so it was just to be safe. Like COVID, I mean, it's really callous to say about someone mm-hmm. that killed a lot of people, but like it was... At its most cynical, a good excuse. Oh, we've totally. all done it. We've all done it. Yeah. That's carrying her villain era in a really relatable way. And yeah. yeah. And it led to a really fun button on the episode. So a, good. a great and just like that. And just like that, I got COVID. First one of those that I felt like was actually like a fun little kicker. And that's how I got With COVID. a crane shot of a New York City street. That felt classic. Yeah. Yes. Back really City. City. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say overall, I feel like this episode, you know, maybe Che aside, um, I felt like this episode was really firing on all cylinders in a way that I don't think the show has before. This was, I think, the first and just like that that felt like a TV show and not just kind of like random meandering plot lines about some people that we used to know. 
Oh, yeah. I will yeah. say, I don't believe for one second that Carrie Bradshaw had never gotten COVID. <laughs> that was so ridiculous. Like, it's your first time. I was like, she would 100% be someone who would maybe flout the rules a little bit. And, you know, I could see her having You COVID think that before. she was, like, going to secret parties in Dime Square? Or shoe sales, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, uh, illicit sample sales. Yes. But I like that to me. That like I don't want shows to be like remember Zoom and like do that plot line or I don't want too much COVID content I mm. guess at this point because but it just was, feel because it feels hacky it well it just feels I, I don't want to revisit that mm. period of time but yeah it can feel a little hacky but this was like no of course it's now forever in our consciousness you know like and so. I like the characters commenting on, like, now she gets it? Like, that's so late. You know, I, I don't know. I just thought it, I think it was funny. Yes. In I, a way that, and just like that, hasn't been that often that funny. Yeah, and I feel like Sarah Jessica Parker is very good at, like, goofy, kind of, like, frantic, uh, like, humor. I sort of wish that it had given her more space to, yeah, dig herself deeper. Yeah. yeah. Though, you know, she gave up so fast when Seema came over. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But when her nameplate was about to get stolen, which actually I did gasp, I was like, oh, please don't take the nameplate. <laughs> Security And then she screams out, I have COVID. What was she trying to accomplish? No idea, but I laughed out loud. <laughs> was she no... trying to get the thief to run away? I think so. I think that <laughs> was it. It didn't work. I, yeah. It did not work no. at all. I did and not then they still just it didn't actually do created, It created the chaos that let the thieves get, get away. away. Kind of. Um, I thought... She really facilitated the theft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for her own selfish interest. Aided and abetted. Um, I love the Seema gag with the pistol lighter. I thought that was really cute because the, Seema has been shown to be sort of like this freewheeling character, but I was like, uh, uh, her carrying a gun might be a bridge too far. <laughs> she immediately gets a gun yeah. after her burger gets stolen. But she like, would have a little pistol, very convincing looking Derringer uh-huh. lighter. I thought that was cute. And I thought the bag plot line, as clumsily maybe as it was sort of grafted onto the grief jewelry thing, was cute. Yeah, and like a, a conscious echo of a Samantha plot line yeah. that we probably remember from the original show. Lucy Liu. Yeah, when Samantha covets a Birkin bag. That was in one of our favorite episodes, one of our top five episodes yes, um, of Sex and the City as uh, chosen by Still Watching. It's in the abortion episode, which is sort of is strange. really? Yeah, strange it is. Bedfellows. Oh, weird. Okay. Sort of tough is the Everybody's, way that big is dead yeah. now. Yeah, everybody is grappling with their fertility, uh, either lack thereof or unwanted pregnancies, you know, their checkered pass, and then Samantha wants a Birkin bag, so she uh, uses Lucy Liu's name. <laughs> right, right. I will say I love the Those equivalent experiences. <laughs> oh, 100%. Exactly. Just like Big Dying is the same as losing a Birkin. <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate the meta commentary about like the impact of Sex in the City with Seema losing her Birkin, where she says, like, maybe they just stole my wallet and they ditched the bag, and then they're like, no, everybody knows what a Birkin is, because Sex in the City made all of us know what a Birkin is. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. yeah. And then, I didn't like at the end how like her bag was like there's no way a Birkin would be lying on the Upper East Side next to her townhouse and some woman wouldn't see that and run for the hills with that bag. The fact that she found it was so mm. ridiculous. You're people on the Upper East Side are, like, looking at the sidewalk. <laughs> that is true. I or even just, on the sidewalk. They float above <laughs> yeah. the ground. I yeah. forgot about that. They also, I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary, The Truffle Hunters, about the men in Northern Italy who have dogs that sniff out truffles. On the Upper East Side, they do have Birkin-sniffing dogs. So <laughs> yeah. that, that would, that's actually why she's seen a saw it. Because that's why the dogs. 100%. Stopped. I'm surprised yeah. Richard Burton III didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> we should also mention, uh, circling back to our first among equals, Carrie. I also love the Bitsy scene, uh, yes. who has always been regarded as this silly character, one of their old stock joke characters, like all those old society ladies. Like this show, has, Sex and City loves to 
poke fun at those women. Mm-hmm. But so I thought it was nice that she gets this moment of like clarity and actual sensible advice to carry. Mm-hmm. Is Nathan Lane dead in the show? In the show, he must. In the show, yeah, he, he must is. be. Nathan yeah. Lane is no more. That as is of last, tough. As of last season, too. Of, yeah. I forgot about that. Okay. R.I.P. Nathan Lane. Mm, God. Which means he came out to Bitsy and is now living in Provincetown <laughs> with someone. Yeah. 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 He's living with Smith Jarrett <laughs> in yeah. Palm Springs. No, it was really great to see Bitsy. And she was, again, she did a great job of sort of like uh, playing sort of the ridiculousness of the facelift. $100,000 facelift, and I still have to come here for a $25 mustache wax. God's clearly a man. But then also giving some actual sage advice. Yeah, I think the show is always better... You know, when it when it engages in some world building, when we have these recurring characters who can pop in and out, who can play off of our main characters, you know, whether they're ridiculous or whether they have pathos or whatever, I it doesn't feel fan servicey. I do feel like when you're in this milieu, you probably do bump into a lot of the same people that you know. Yeah, all when the you're, time. You know, at the dermatologist or whatever. Especially now that Carrie is very much in a moneyed world, mm-hmm. but certainly when she goes on her big Bergdorf shopping spree to make herself feel better, like. Carrie was always a shopper, but like now she just like has money. Yeah. And so of course she's going to run into people like Bitsy because that's the stuff she goes to. And I think the show is like acknowledging Carrie was never downtown in location, but she was sort of downtown in spirit. It's strange in the original show that she would live on the Upper West Side. That Samantha was the downtown one. Yeah. Yeah. Made sense. But also Carrie should have been too. She should have. But I mean, now it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And I do do like her cute little neighbor. I'm sorry that all her jewelry got stolen and that Carrie didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Does the neighbor afford that apartment? No clue. I forgot. She's one of Bulgari's five designers to watch, Richard. Were you not listening? Sorry. My Bulgari monthly is late this this (laughs) week. That was the clumsiest exposition. I've ever heard. It's not good. Did anyone remember her from season one? I really forgot her. The plot line was that she was too loud and Carrie felt old, right? Yes. Yes. And then then she saw her sort of humanized somehow because it was a a breakup, I think. And now now they've exchanged keys and can kind of look out for each other. And I I think, I don't know if the show wants to use, you know, younger characters as grandfather them into being main characters and follow sex and dating through their lives. I kind of feel like the sex and dating part doesn't matter as much writ large and it's really just kind of about like the characters we already know and their three new counterparts. Um, mm-hmm. If it wanted to go in that direction, I, I don't know if this is necessarily the show <laughs> to be able to yeah. say something insightful about the way 20-somethings are, you know, living and loving in the city. Yeah. Oh, here's what could happen. <clears throat> Hit us. Carrie's walking downstairs going outside somewhere and she sees Steve leaving her neighbor's oh, apartment. Lucette's apartment. Yeah, that's what happens. I mean, Miranda Something. moved on, right? Yeah, right. Steve deserves yeah, that would to be as well. He yeah, does. You know, he... that's a, because I, I thought that like they used her well for this metaphor of like we don't we we're just gonna lie in bed to get like we, we can get up eventually, but we don't have to get up right now. Like mm-hmm. she, she's become a functional character in at least for the show's metaphors, yes. right? But yeah, if they wanted to involve her more, but no, I think this show is much more about like the experience of being a woman in your fifties mm-hmm. and all of that implies romantic stuff being part of that but not the entirety the way the original show was focused on that right yeah. I think that uh, our producer Emily put in our show notes that some of this I think this is a good episode but I, I did feel some of the strain of having to juggle six to seven characters I think Seema's l- little purse plotline could have had an extra beat I also think that the MILF plotline mm. with Charlotte and Lisa Todd Wexley there needed to be one more they see this hot kid and which is that's kind of interesting. A, an interesting I like, line. I guess he could, could be 18 <laughs> yeah. even then. And then there, nothing really comes of it. It did feel like there needed to be a final beat, yeah. 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 I'm yeah. glad that it wasn't sort of just like 
with last week, some big moral moment about racism or a big moral moment about the MILF list, you know, it mm. just sort of ended with like a funny like gag or whatnot. But yeah, it sort of did need to be rounded out a bit. I will say I took a page out of Hillary's book and I wrote down all of the names of the MILF list. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we wanna... Well done. Well, actually, Chris, I want to say that I did the same thing. Ah, look at us. And I looked up the people on the MILF list <laughs> And everybody except for the top three, there's a, a character uh, that we see briefly who's the number one MILF. <laughs> the number one MILF. Um, then but she's a step MILF, Char- so it doesn't really, exactly. doesn't really count. Yeah. Then Charlotte and Lisa and the rest of the names on that list appear to be people who work on and just like that. Wow. Oh, I okay. love that. Which is, a, which is a fun uh, little Easter egg. So, so Michael Patrick King is one of the top MILFs at, <laughs> yeah. at Constance Billiard Not or whatever. Not Darren Star. <laughs> yeah. He was 11, actually. So close. Right. But right. yeah, it's a, there's, there's, you know, PAs and some writers, uh, stylist. Kia um, Hill, Rachel Palmer, Angelica Lee, Cassette Spence. Cassette Jamie, Spence is a real person a real who works on it just name. like that. Jamie Ella Gross, Amani Jew, and number one MILF, Kayla Charles. <laughs> I thought it was a fun plot line. I mean, it was. I think that they should go deeper into Lisa Todd Wexley and Charlotte being ensconced in that prep school. Mm. Up, I, you know, I, I mean, they they're doing that, but like, I think that's ripe fertile territory, you yeah. know. And, and this was a little bit of a dip in, but I think they could have given it a little more time. I also appreciated theater wise. That when Nicole Ari Parker playing Lisa Todd Wexley was like, I feel like Blanche Dubois because she played she her on played Broadway. She played with, back in the Sex and the City, with Blair Underwood, That's who right. played Robert, oh, Miranda's yeah. best boyfriend ever other than Steve. And I believe um, Daphne Rubin Vega was Stella? Yes, she was. Yeah. I saw that. I took a picture with Blair Underwood afterwards, too. Um, <laughs> a, she was great in it. Nicole Ari Parker, really great Blanche Dubois. I believe it. I will say it was a nice excuse to get Naya involved with the women, yes. given that Miranda's still in LA until the end of the episode. And it was nice to see her interacting with people and not just on her own journey, although even that could, like, have a little bit more time in terms of the juggling of the Mm storylines, because I was like, oh, and that, like, Keegan Michael Key lookalike guy. And sound alike. <laughs> I literally thought it was him, and then I saw For his brief muscles, moment. and I was like, "That's not him." <laughs> but I was like, "Oh, it's like she's getting hit on left and right, and yet we haven't really been able to go there because we're juggling seven storylines." Chris, I think you're right and smart to point out that, like, that was a nice new connection point. Mm-hmm. We haven't had like a Naya Lisa Todd Wexley solo. I mean, this is barely a solo storyline yeah. or duo storyline for them. But I remember in the old days, and I don't want to do too much comparison to the old show, but it's kind of impossible not to. When like you would get that little thrill of like, oh, weird, Charlotte and Samantha have a combined plot line this episode. Yeah. Like it always felt like fun when the non carries had their own separate things together. Yes. And I think that because there are seven characters, six ish to juggle. Maybe that could be a strategy going forward, which is like this week, instead of six plot lines, we have three pairs of two. Yeah. yeah. I even felt that way when Miranda called Charlotte and not Carrie about the Brady situation, because of course she would call Charlotte. Because, because Charlotte has kids. Charlotte yeah. has kids. And it's right. like it was fun to see. I was like, oh, yeah, they have their own relationship, obviously, that is outside of the Carrie sphere. Oh, my God. It's such a mess. Do not worry about Che right now. You are doing the right thing. There's nothing more important Thank you for saying that. Brady's going to be okay. I love you. I love you too. It was really fun to have four women at a tabletop. Not three, Mm -hmm. not seven. Mm -hmm. Four women just felt 
like home a little mm-hmm. bit. And I was like, I don't even care who the four are. Let's just, it's a nice place to be in. And I thought it was cute that Naya was like, we could be talking about this important <laughs> stuff. And then she gets the text and she's like, oh, never mind. The the cute sound guy And that also to... sort of feels yeah. like a, sh- a, as a wink from the people who write the show where they're like, okay, we know the last season we were a little heavy handed. Right. And this season, it's going to be about relationships. Yeah. I invite whenever the show wants to kind of like pull the curtain back a little bit and be like, hey, we heard you last <laughs> last season. <laughs> like, we're going to be conscious about hey, this stuff. Hey, it's JDS. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, I also think that uh, it was a nice evocation of the fact that, like, I think it was really Sex in the City that, like, got conversational and people to be like, oh, or maybe it was Friends, too. But, like, did you hear from ATM guy if you met some guy in the ATM mm-hmm. vestibule or whatever? And, like, a so lot sound. Co- a lot of coinages. Coinages, yeah. exactly. Now we have sound guy. And poor Naya. Naya's still yeah. kind of in search of a storyline. Yeah. Is every, for- in every episode, is she just going to, like, meet a hot guy, and go, ooh, and then nothing <laughs> that's happens? That's it. And then that's it. Yeah, I don't. I, it does feel like they're spinning their wheels with her, which is a shame because Karen Pittman is such a good actor. Yeah, I mean they are. They're all good. They should give her something to yeah. do. Yeah. I'm hopeful now that Miranda's back, that will sort of jumpstart a Naya storyline or plotline, and even a, like a Miranda. I'm want to see Miranda outside of the Che universe, outside of Che Passa, if you will. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm still hopeful because Karen Pittman is so good and she does make me laugh. Like or she's great at these line readings. I've find her rapport with these other women fun when we get to see her do it. But yeah, I'm ready for her to text one of these men back. Like, let's let's get the show on the road here. Yeah, it seems very clear that her marriage is over. I don't know if she hasn't gotten that memo. The rest of us certainly <laughs> yeah. have. Yeah. We're not holding on uh, hope for yeah. Rashad, Andre start, Rashad. Start meeting a guy of the week. And they then keep find throwing out. hot guys at her, and then they it do. just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. She has to meet a guy of the week. She has to go home with him. She has to then find out what's wrong with him, and then find a new guy the next week. Exactly. And you, then go to brunch yeah. to talk about what's wrong with him, and then find a new guy. You satisfy our hunger for the show's old beats through Naya. Yes. Yeah, because she's the most single one yes. of the bunch. I mean, you know, Seema's single, but, like, that's a different story. And mm-hmm. Naya, I mean, I don't want to use this word because it's often a pejorative level to women, but Naya's maybe the more desperate mm-hmm. of, oh. of the— I think she would agree. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, getting, the, getting such a thrill out of a mic adjustment <laughs> <laughs> says that maybe you it need to get It was a more. sexy mic adjustment. I, 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 one time at the—I um, was doing something at the Paley Center in New York, an onstage Q&A— with the cast of Quantico, oh, wow. the short-lived FBI sexy oh, show. Yeah, Bianca Chopra. Chopra's, Chopra's big brand in the U.S. Introduction to America. Yeah. Exactly. And so everyone was getting mic'd up, and they finally got to Priyanka, and the guy started reaching with his mic out, and she goes, oh, no, no, no. I'm, you're not. We're not doing that. And then they, had, she had to have a hand. <laughs> <laughs> Good for her. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's yeah. honestly really. Know your worth. Know what you're... I was like, she's fabulous. <laughs> Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll be talking to the hosts of Who Weekly about celebrity and Carrie's short-lived podcasting career. So, podcasting might be dead for Carrie Bradshaw, but it is very much alive for our next guests. I'm very excited about this. Bobby Finger and Lindsay Weber are the hosts of Who Weekly, always wanted to say this, a podcast that tells you everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. They're also New Yorkers who have a keen eye on celebrity and the media. Bobby and Lindsay, welcome to Still Watching. You guys are fans, right? Like, 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 earnestly, not, not ironically. <laughs> Huge of both. I mean, I, I can't speak for Lindsay with regards to unjust like that. We're both. I will speak for her with regards to Sex in the City. Earnest fans of the original show. Yes, I'm an earnest sure. fan of and just like that. Every second of it, <laughs> I think Lindsay. There's like a a little more irony there, maybe. But you, when you uh, like it, you like not it. even 
irony. I mean, I just think I have a little bit more of like a realistic, grounded take in it than you do. <laughs> Such a Miranda. I mean, when, I, when I watch this show, I ascend to like some other dimension, <laughs> like a plane of existence that I've never been to before because I feel completely demented every time I watch it in like a good in the best possible way I'll be like, like not this in a episode was way. fine and Bob you like I cried twice and I'm like where did you cry in what parts did you cry and then the when I explain happening. where I cried I feel crazy when I explain when I cried because there's nothing particularly like mo- necessarily moving about it but it's like the show turns buttons I didn't know I had like it's very weird I'm obsessed I never wanted to end I might die when the show ends. Like, it's, I need this show. Well, to I think that's how that's how the oh show's going to end. Is everyone dies? Yeah, I mean, I we know. all just go out together. It's, it'll be like the six feet under montage of like Che being suffocated <laughs> right, and Miranda right. being buried under sand on the beach and oh Brady driving a Prius across the desert. So we were talking, Chris, Hillary, and I were talking in the recap portion of this episode about episode three. And about yeah. how it really clicks. Like, it, it feels like the show firing mostly on all cylinders. Do you agree with me? Do you, does that feel like, does this feel like a kind of higher watermark for the show than, than maybe a lot of season one? Totally. Well, this morning yes. we did a recap for our Patreon on the first two, and I hadn't seen the third yet. Mm-hmm. And so Bobby kept, like, alluding to how the third, like, brings it together or something, or or it just, it becomes better. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like I'm still very <laughs> much, <skeptical>. like, <laughs> warming up to this, this tone again. I'd forgotten that this show has, like, a very confusing tone that you have to almost, like, get into mm-hmm. or get out of I, I, or decide what it is. And I just had forgotten how, like, maudlin and sad it can be. I was a little bit, like, unsure. And then I saw the third episode. And I, it is, I agree that it's much much tighter of an episode and it's much more instead of picking up where we last left off and reminding us about all these things that everyone is doing it's honestly too much that everyone's doing so much exposition it it almost falls finally back into kind of the rhythm of the original show and what makes it so funny. So I agree that it's much better than the first two. It, it, it's before, good. It's before, good. Okay, well, there's Bobby, an answer to both of those questions. Before I answer the question. What, what part made you my, cry? Did I ascend? Yes. <laughs> When did I cry? When Carrie was reading the audiobook. I so professional. Thought that was just so I thought it was so moving. Um I thought it was okay. just again like the tonal not just like the tone of the show but the tonal shifts that the show takes within a single episode are so funny like there's Carrie grappling with the death of John. Um, I thought the stuff between the producer and her was so sweet and well done. Like, it's just very well. The show is very well observed, usually. But then that is coupled with, like, literally COVID jokes. What I what I liked about the first season was that they didn't really linger on COVID. I don't want to hear what Charlotte has to think about COVID. Like, I don't need to know any of those things. <laughs> that and is so, so true. they bring in COVID, like, as a punchline a couple of times in this episode. And I cried. <laughs> How does the show do all of these things at once? I know Why that I know that some people will say it does all of these things badly. But, like, I think it's, like, firing it on all cylinders and everything oh is a God. success. It definitely does all of those things. I'm so glad you guys are privy to this. I did just think of something that I think would have been a good COVID storyline, which would be Charlotte frantically trying to get her kids to the front of the line for the to get their vaccinations. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. She would absolutely skip. skip. And like calling their pediatrician every day. And the pediatrician is Lisa, like, I'm sorry, it hasn't been approved for that age group yet. And her just like freaking Lisa out. Lisa Todd Wexler would like have her own supply of vaccines. <laughs> oh, yeah. They go to like, a concierge doctor. <laughs> She'd hoarding be vaccines. Them, She'd be hoarding them. Lisa's <laughs> like, I already got the booster while people are waiting to get the first shot. Yes. 
But do you feel, I feel so like funny. SEMA might have been like, do vaccines really work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, like, not in an act anti-vax way, but she would talk about how strong her immune system is and how rarely <laughs> yeah. she's against she while gets smoking sick. a cigarette. Yes. yes, I want to know. I'm I'm such a big fan of Who Weekly, patron subscriber, <laughs> and I really do love when you rank people from Who. So celebrities mm-hmm. sort of like to be like the lowest of the totem pole. Some of the people that we might not know to them. Not great name recognition. Yeah, mm-hmm. no name recognition Ugh. to sort of the biggest household name, names. Yes, the biggest A-list. So mm-hmm. we sort of have a bigger cast of characters this season on Just Like That. We've expanded. We have our Lisa Todd Wexley. We have Naya Wallace. We've got Seema Patel. And we also have Che Diaz. Mm-hmm. So I would love if you would indulge us and go who to them for the new ladies and Charlotte, Miranda, and Carrie. So seven and oh Che God. and also Wait, Che. Including the including old girlies. Them. Che's number one and them. And then Che is and the then biggest Carrie. them. And then I think it goes Che, Carrie. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> That's blasphemous, but I love it. It goes Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte, I think, definitely. Mm. And then of the new people, I think Che is definitely... Like, the ghost of Samantha no, comes the ghost after of Samantha. <laughs> Charlotte. Let's not lie. And then I think I think Che's the number one themiest of the new cast members. Um, totally. Yeah. Lisa Todd does the most. I think it's... And then I think it's Lisa Todd, Seema, and then Naya. Because Naya... I would argue Seema ahead of Lisa Todd because I think Seema gets the most Carrie scenes. Seema mm. is, the, is the Samantha. So totally. Seema gets the, like, most one-on-one. If anything, Seema gets the most information out of Carrie than anyone else does on the show for some reason. Like, <laughs> Charlotte's, like, in outer space the entire time. So she LA. never actually asks any questions. You did mention... She's like, <laughs> Diva, don't worry. I sent you chocolates. It's like wh- what? <laughs> well, I like that. What she are sent you talking caviar, about? She sends chocolate. She sends tequila. The best like I love being that friends with thing. these people is they just give such They're extravagant so gifts rich. all the time. So rich. I was so constantly rich. sending each other like Harry and David baskets. <laughs> I know. You it's mentioned true. Lindsay that Lisa Todd has so much like an abundance of character descriptions that like Lisa Todd's family could have their own spinoff and you would watch it. Yeah. And I think yeah. I think that that's why I put Lisa above Seema because Lisa. When you said it, I know that that's not the plan, but it is – there's so much, like, detail in Lisa Todd's life. And maybe that's a factor Mm. of it just being a bigger family so you have, like, more going on at home. But it really does feel like there's a kind of an entirely different show going on there. And that's why I liked episode three because Lisa Todd – got a little bit more integrated with Charlotte again. Like, Mm -hmm. sometimes the show can feel a little siloed. If I'm going to criticize it in any way, which pains me, (laughs) I like when they're all sort of getting to know each other and and figuring each other out. I love all of that. Like, the MILF list killed me. Was it inappropriate? Maybe. Like, I I don't know, (laughs) but I was, like, cracking up. You know, I think the no, third was episode funny. was the funniest so far, too. I also liked how they brought back the spirit of Bunny, Trey's mm. mom, from mm-hmm. by bringing in uh, his mom, her husband's yes. mom. So, like, that Eunice. was very, like, e- that was a very much an echo of it. But it's like we're dealing with it in a different context and different time with, like, different topics. But it was giving Bunny. And I, I liked that they're giving her more kind of, like... Uh, pushback or conflict or whatever Mm. because these women obviously live like the most perfect lives ever and they have to give them something to get stressed about. Yes, (laughs) Yes. to have a black bunny is so fantastic. (laughs) Who's pretending not to see Bobby and Lindsay, do you think in in the world of Sex and the City slash and just like that is Carrie Bradshaw them? We debated this last season because it didn't really feel like she was out there Uh doing stuff and being a them. But she got invited to the Met, which I think is an important 
maybe the writers heard a little bit of feedback from everyone being like, can we have her be famous? Can we have her be glamorous? <laughs> yeah. Like at one point in Sex and the City, people knew who she was. They camped her. They were like, we love your book, blah, 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 all yeah, that. she had all those French fans. Exactly. We love her the sex. So we like, love her the sex. Yes. <laughs> what, what happened to that? Like, is that something that is still a reality for her or is she kind of like washed up? Like, what mm-hmm. is the what is going on? And I kind of do think that she is one of those like New York City Andy Cohen, maybe he's a little bit bigger, but like uh, Julia Fox, uh, mm. Chloe Sevigny, she's like Candace Bushnell. I mean, she yeah. is kind of like a local, local woman about a New York them. them. I think she's a New York yeah, them for sure. for sure. You know who for I sure. see at everything still? Michael Musto. Mm. Ah, Michael oh Musto, that's God. a great example. And she's a yes. lot chicer than Michael Musto. No offense to Michael Musto, mm-hmm. who's wow. great. But like, I, I feel like it's that kind of like you aren't a New Yorker until you've had a spotting of Carrie Bradshaw somewhere. That makes you know, sense. That mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I just, it's a very New York-based celebrity, which I guess because New York has a lot of culture within it that gets broadcast out, it, you can be a bigger celebrity from just being a New York celebrity. But like, it feels, she feels very much like that. Especially being a famous writer, we don't have a ton of that or as as much like Truman Capote esque famous like writer types is as we maybe Lebowitz. used to, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Like <laughs> I did find I don't it. Know. Fran Leibovitz, who actually like produces work, <laughs> right? Writes books. The podcast stuff. I think Carrie starting a podcast in the first season made so much sense. It it seemed like a very elegant way back into the Sex and the City column. But I, when the podcast ended in episode two. I kind of understand why she didn't want to do it with regards to like advertising stuff, I guess. But it's <laughs> weird to me that like I think of Carrie as just in terms of like a voice in that in that world. To me, that podcast would have been a slam dunk top of the charts. Like I find it weird that I the know. like like Carrie New York them probably broader top tier who but like new york them for sure it's weird to me that the podcast wasn't like this huge phenomenon but maybe that's just not fun to write like maybe it's just not a fun thing to have on a television show a successful podcast well don't you feel like the podcast was supposed to be you know how every episode of sex and she sit down and she mm-hmm. write at her computer like yeah. you know mm-hmm. why do girls do this and guys do that or like whatever <laughs> bullshit she wrote at the time i felt like they were going to transition that to be like what the, the podcast ending. was which is yeah. like her giving advice and then kind of spinning that advice into the theme of the episode which i always really like sex and city for because it was always like living an experience and then summing it up like you modern know? And family I, episodes I, or something yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. i just thought i thought that was what we were going for and then it kind of they were like okay we don't want to do the podcast anymore so we're going to blow up the podcasting industry. Was no, that triggering? thank you. Trigger, no, very yes. triggering. How many vagina ads have I had to read? And of course, you can always rewrite them. You can always make them your own. It doesn't have to be that much drama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because it feels like they'd rather write Che's pilot than do Carrie's podcast. What I think what, so too. What do you think of Che's pilot? Is it supposed to be bad is it supposed to be good where do we land on their pilot i mean i think it's supposed to not go through so that they can come back to new york but i I mean maybe that's just me trying to predict getting miranda back to new york you hate this Lindsay's like so mad at me you hate how much i love the show i feel i I hate it too i I love it I feel like we're replicating anytime any of the Sex and the City women leave New York, there is this just kind of like ticking clock, like the countdown clock to when they get too bored. Mm-hmm. I've been there by whatever city they go to, be it Paris, Atlantic be it City, LA, wherever. Mm. Yeah. 
till they get bored of it and they come back. And I just think that this is like a very interesting like another version of that where it's like where whoever said Carrie was like, well, what, when do you come back to New York? And and Miranda's like, I love it here. I love L.A. And she like, even says it's like pretend life it's out here. Pretend which is life. like No offense All to L.A. listeners. Does. I think every time I go to Los Angeles, I'm oh, like, God. this isn't real. I think the show had to address that in the in the years between the original show ended and and just like that started, that mm-hmm. L.A. did for a long time sort of take over American cultural hegemony with, yeah. like, influencers and all that stuff and mm-hmm. Kardashians and whatnot. And New York did cede a little of that ground that I think it's sort of weirdly gaining back now. But, yeah, so, so I think they had to put someone in L.A. because, like, if you're talking about, like, the great, like, hub of culture in the U.S., like, nowadays, like, you can't just talk about New York. Like, L.A. has right. to be in there somewhere. It's just like it always just very funny to me where when they do this thing where they don't they have a love life and they have their other life and they like and it does it's not balanced. And that always ends up fucking with each character has gone through this where they get bored. And it's like so Miranda's like Miranda's just like bored. She's like going to AA to like have something to do, which is insane. Then she's like cleaning the beach of its seaweed or something. (laughs) That's something to do. And she's essentially like Che's like sex, like she's at home, like waiting to have sex with Che, like waiting for Che to get home to like strap on some leatherwear. It's like, just like yeah. Carrie, it's it like Carrie in Paris. It was Carrie in Paris no, coded. It really is Carrie in Paris in that big dress, waiting on the bed for like Except him to come home. Instead of Oscar De La Renta, it's a strap on. <laughs> right, right, it's a complicated right. strap on. And like yeah. how so Miranda is it to like be putting on a strap on and be like, this is ridiculous. I hate doing this. What do I do here? Like, that's so, that's so in, funny. Just in the background. That is and, so and funny. And she slithers fully nude out of that, like, like <laughs> the whatever that egg was. The sensory deprivation tank. I yes. was sobbing because, like, Cynthia is so funny and, like, she's so confident and, like, does not give a fuck and will do anything for the comedy and is like, you want me to be completely nude in a sensory deprivation tank and then kind of, like, slide out of it, like, <laughs> like Final Destination or something? Like, Numi Rapaz and Prometheus. Sarah Jessica Parker just think, would never. Just in my mind, I just think when I what I love the most about the show is I think of Sam Irby like texting Cynthia like I'm gonna do something crazy. We're gonna get we're doing something crazy this week, and Cynthia's like I'm game. I love it. Down. I think you're so funny and smart, and I'm down. And I just like to me that makes me happy because I see a lot of that here. Like she's so down to like have fun. It's all on Cynthia, not not Sarah, not Charlotte, really yet. It's really not. No, yet. it's all Cynthia for just to be a full ass clown. I mean, she is such a clown in this show. It's amazing. I like Charlotte. Charlotte also, though, I I, I was worried about how, like, having teen children, like, as a regular part of the cast would, would work because that always is sort of, like, irritating or can be irritating when you just, like, throw in a kid. But, like, Charlotte's <laughs> kids, I'm enjoying so far. And to be fair, Lindsay and I have only seen three episodes. But I think that they're, they're actually providing laughs. Not necessarily interest but like when they're on screen like it makes me laugh like when someone made a joke calling lily lily eilish and then rock laughed i laughed i was like okay this is like we can have kids to this show and i could laugh it's sort of like when your friends when your friend gets pregnant and you're like oh there goes the dynamic and then the kid gets a little older and you're like this is fine this is okay. <laughs> I can live with this. A new person. I can I can live with this. Yeah, I liked when Lily wrote like a song about being privileged. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. Like whatever yeah. we're introducing here is going to be fantastic. 
Uh, unfortunately, there is um, an episode coming up because I've seen more where the weekend shows up and takes Lily to LA. <laughs> Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I know you you're joking, gasp, but like it's real. It could happen. It could. Happen. Luke, it could Lily happen. Rose, York, Goldenblatt. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god! Exactly. I just got signed. His name's Tedros. <laughs> Tedros. Tedros. Right, Tedros. Um, Bobby Lindsay, uh, thank you both so much mm. um, for talking with us about this sh- oh, Bobby's favorite television show oh. ever made. Um, Thank you. People should listen to Who Weekly, not just for their And Just Like That coverage, but for uh, everything else that they do. I know this gets thrown at you two a lot, but like, and I just just for listeners who are not as familiar with your podcast, which again, I think that overlap is pretty, pretty, but um, is that it's about these celebrities, but it's all, or non-celebrities, but it's also really a really sharp, like cultural and media critique. So People Thank should you. definitely li- yes. give a listen. Yes, and you're going on tour, and I have tickets for New York, so you got to... You do? Oh, yes. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. One of the few, the yeah. proud, the brave. We're going on tour. We have to work this into our show, I think. It's too, like... The fact that we're going on tour, like, while this show is airing is going to be a real problem for me in terms of not <laughs> talking about it. Do you want to plug dates, or is everywhere, everywhere sold out? It's all on whoweekly.us slash live, and anywhere that you see that might be sold out, we're adding new shows, so... Uh, don't get stressed. Great. All right. Well, we're looking forward to more of your coverage <laughs> of And Just Like That. Bob oh, Weber, Lindsay Weber. Thank you so much to you both. Thanks, Thanks for so having us. For having this having great. Us. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, the fabulous fashions and the not-so-glamorous looks. And if you are watching this video... Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. At eBay, you'll always get that feel of real because your fashion purchase will be backed by authenticity guarantee. Whether it's a knit bag, a must-have watch, dreamy jewellery or fire sneakers and fresh streetwear, every step will feel authentic, every flex will feel real. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. All right, I think it's time for us to talk about clothes. Jewelry, face masks. It's time to do killer looks and fashion roadkill. So, what? Which 
Uh, what style stood out? Chris, I feel like you are dying to say something. I am. You know who I thought had a really lovely outfit this episode? I loved Miranda's like green jumpsuit that mm, she wore. Her coveralls. her coveralls. that she wore to the taping where she really should have put her phone away, but I understand why she kept it. <laughs> um, I thought she looked great. She looked she looked like uh, fun and like uh, age appropriate is not the word I want to use, but it felt like a really nice look for her, especially after episode two and the green bucket hat and of it all. When she, Yeah, when she was uh, rather disheveled on the beach. I personally want to give a shout out to uh, Richard Burton's raincoat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I that Charlotte's that. dog was very well dressed. Um, fashion roadkill, I don't know if this graded on you guys the same way as me, but is Charlotte really so tacky that she would be wearing a Burberry dress, a Burberry apron, and Burberry mules all at the same time in the same plaid? <laughs> yes. It was a, yeah, I do think Richard's. <laughs> no, I don't but know. she has actual know. money. I feel like yeah. that's something that you wear when you're kind of like an like a, yeah. like a wannabe. Right. When you're already on the Upper East Side, don't you kind of look at that check and that's say, like, that is point. too that is... outs. Like, that is an overstatement. Like, we are understated wealth. We are stealth wealth. Yeah. But nothing about that's Charlotte true. was ever really that understated. Like, it's she wanted like you know she wanted the wealth than one I can mm-hmm. I can see it that is true I, but I saw her and I this is saying maybe more about me than it is about the show but I saw like try hardy rich girls in my high school mm. like sure that does like, scan coach bags with like a big C ludicrously yeah. capacious bag I think that kind of Upper East Side wealth like I went to go see a play on the Upper East Side recently and it's a very like you know blue hair crowd and, mm. and you know hoity toits from up there and it's the kind of clothing that is uh, is not branded at all, obviously. But you just look; it's just like simple sweaters and whatever. And you're like, that just looks expensive. Like it was you just thousands kind of, of dollars. Yeah, you yeah. just yeah. know that the that the woman's like wrap is like made from like they just killed the camel that morning and <laughs> yeah. skin. They didn't the even have to kill yeah. the camel, but they did anyway. The camel you know? gave willingly its <laughs> right, skin. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, I I know what you mean, but I I do think that Charlotte is. Even still, that's a little bit strivy. Like, even yeah. though she's been ensconced in this just forever. It feels tacky for tacky, somebody. Yeah. A little tacky for uh, Who her. would, you know, turn yeah. up their nose at carnations. Yeah. I feel like yeah. it's Maybe just it's more much. of a, a Carrie thing to wear matchy, matchy, matchy like that. Mm. Um, I liked Carrie's Monopoly sweatshirt. She's been wearing some interesting <laughs> sweatshirts cute. this season. Oh, she had a New York Times sweatshirt. The New York Times one and the, the Monopoly one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, it's sort of downtown for her, I think, given. I'm know. into her cash just at home clothes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fun mode for her. I was actually realizing that, like, a lot of um, – because I think we did something on our Instagram. It was linked to a post about, like, the worst fashions on the show. and Or Sarah Jessica Parker was interviewed about it. Anyway, I think a lot of the bad looks on the show, weirdly, are my favorite because I remember them the most. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to see in aggregate after this season is done, like, are some of, like, the weirder ones going to be the ones that, you know, are enduring – Mm-hmm. And I think that weird sweatshirts like that like stick in the mind. Oh, 100%. They're not – I mean, she looks great, but like, I don't know. feels very appropriate also that she and Seema both would have like designer face masks that don't actually do anything <laughs> yeah, to right. keep not you healthy. Not N95s, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Louis Vuitton is not making a KN95. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that when we saw Carrie at home, she was like – in different scenes eating something different mm. or like Seema comes over just like I don't have COVID and then cut to them immediately pouring wine Drinking like it's wine. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like again Carrie's settling into her lady of leisure lifestyle and um, I'm not I, mad at it I'm enjoying it mm. Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can email us your, I don't know, fan theories, fashion, your favorite critiques, ladies whatever. on the show, yeah, um, your script pitches for Chepasa, <laughs> your punch there ups, you go. <laughs> or or other things for Tony Danza to do. Uh, that's Still Watching Pod at gmail.com. 
Uh, oh, we should mention also pro- a programming note. Hillary will be on vacation next week, so we will have our own Joy Press filling in. Yes. She um, filled in. Uh, she came to the final episode of Succession. Hillary's season. son broke up with his girlfriend in Amsterdam. Yeah, so he's flying back. <laughs> so Hillary's on a KL- KLM flight right it's after this. It's a whole family scene. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but yes, again, email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Rylas, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. And you can find me on Twitter at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday for episode four. Looking forward to seeing you then. I'm not allowed to call you my little cannoli anymore? Who am I offending now? The pastry cream or the shell? The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowich. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah. that. We support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Shield being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's a walk. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>